to My Security TV and our Tech and Sec Weekly. My name is Chris Coverage. I'm the executive editor with My Security Media, and today we're going to be joined by Dr. Tom Winston, Director of Intelligence with Dragos. We're going to be looking at assessing risk in ICS environments, the ITOT uh, sort of landscape as we do, uh, and also be uh, touching on ransomware and also the insider threat and the general risk assessment process that we'll go through. Uh, Tom's got a very interesting background in the intelligence community, so looking forward uh, to speaking to Tom. And without further ado, we'll bring on Dr. Tom Winston, Director of Intelligence with Dragos. Tom, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me, Chris. Be appreciate the opportunity to uh, have this nice conversation. Great. Um, uh, we did we did speak a few weeks ago. So like I said, I've been looking forward to speaking to you. Uh, and Dragos uh, is in the ITOT environment, particularly on the OT, uh, looking at visibility. I think there's a couple of ways we can go, either your background or maybe introduction to Dragos as well. And I think that's where your role uh, as Director of Intelligence converge. Maybe start off with, with Dragos uh, and what you particularly do, because uh, you do have that uh, threat intel uh, role as well, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, Dragos focuses primarily on I ICS OT environment, uh, asset visibility and asset management. So really, we look at the other part of the enterprise after IT. We we like we're always interested in IT, and IT definitely matters for us. But um, we're more much more interested in the how IT is connected to and interacts with the ICS environments or the operational technology OT environments in the organization. And my role. Yep. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say uh, yeah, and your role there with the intel because there's a that that. Yeah, I can. It's amazing in the last couple of years, the increasing discussions around OT, it's uh, increasing with its prevalence. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, the conversation's been hard to start. And uh, I know when I was serving in the United States intelligence community, um, I was the person who was stuck. I put that in very loose quotes with the account. Um, and I had been pursuing cyber threat actors. Um, in various geographic parts of the world prior to that, um, both both online and in person sometimes, um, but mostly online. And really, when that account was handed to me, I was I was excited and afraid. And I realized very quickly that um, there was a lot to do. Um, I still think there is a lot to do. Um, and certainly having these conversations, I think, is a great way to sort of get that out there. Um, I am by no means uh, the only expert there are many experts in this area a growing number of experts although i think that may be a bit of um selection bias on my part because i i work with these people every day so it seems like there's a lot in terms of cybersecurity, we're a real small uh, group of folks so um tends to be a small small community and everybody tends to sort of help each other certainly dragos um that's our goal safeguarding civilization all civilizations anywhere um, and really, we we approach this with the humility that uh, we we're always learning, and there's a lot there's a lot to do um, in this area. Maybe um, the change in the definition of OT environments over time. I suppose the, you know most of us would be thinking about you know power, chemical plants, uh, and the like. But the changes that you would have seen over your time and the spread. I see OT environments and the, sort of the, the definition of critical infrastructure has changed uh, over the years. Uh, we're now looking at sort of real-time supply chains, uh, even food distribution would be considered uh, critical infrastructure 
today. Yeah, just the change in the OT environment uh, in in your time and how it's how it's viewed uh, or it, the the view is changing. So a couple changes. Um, first of all, OT is not new. Um, it's been around for a very long time, um, but OT connected to IT is a relatively yep. new thing. So a couple things that have happened. Um, I think a couple years, we'll say go back seven, eight, nine years, um, there was very little understanding about how IT would eventually or was already impacting OT environments. So having the conversation with um, the interested, you know, shareholder, stakeholder folks really was hard at first because you would sit down and, you know, you talk to, I would sit down with the United States Coast Guard and I'd say, we should talk about port security. And they'd look at me and they'd say, why, why do we want to talk about port security? Well, because it's connected to your IT systems. So things like that um, was sort of the, that was the beginning. Um, certainly the uh, pandemic has caused a whole host of other issues, mostly stemming from work from home arrangements that required organizations in a very quick fashion to um, organize and set up IT that allowed people to work remotely from home typically. Um, this is where things got really murky and messy. I think um, there's been a couple incidents in the past year or two even um, that have sort of shown this, uh, that this is, a, this is a real threat, real problem. Um, if we take a step back from sort of the common, what, what I refer to as is the common person's critical infrastructure. And we look at what, um, you know, governments are doing, you know, research on this. You mentioned uh, critical infrastructure protection. Almost every country in the world has a, a formalized definition of and um, process forward, plan forward for protecting critical infrastructure. So um, how they define critical infrastructure, of course, may differ. And ICS and operational technology is really interesting because it's only a small part of critical infrastructure. Um, recently had a conversation with some colleagues, uh, including the CEO of Dragos, uh, Mr. Robert Lee, and he he had mentioned we were talking about the 911 infrastructure because it's connected to telecommunications. But it turns out that there's very little OT actually involved in that part of our critical infrastructure, even though it's hugely important. It's not an operational technology concern right now anyway. So um, just little things like that, a lot of nuance to um, sort of the ICS OT world that I think it's it's almost easier if you're looking at IT security because there's just there's just a lot more of it. Um, but on the other hand, maybe that makes it more difficult. Maybe that makes uh, the job the job that Dragos does, um, you know, much easier. I think one of the areas uh, in OT is the visibility, and that's where Dragos comes in. Maybe just go through some what uh, maybe tend the secret source of Dragos. What, what's the, the the actual product that you provide, or sort of coming to market that might differentiate yourselves? So Dragos provides uh, an endpoint solution that is not just a static, um, we designed it once and we sent it out the door and we're never gonna touch it again endpoint solution um, for ICS environments, operational technology environments, but it's a solution that is continuously being updated. And um, as our, our tireless uh, Intel hunters, Intel analysts, adversary hunters, sometimes we call them, are searching for these, um, you know, this activity out in the wild, um, when we find it, that information is included into almost sometimes in real time, um, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks, but really um, into that that solution so that as the threats occur, um, 
with cyber threat intelligence, the, the issue always is we have we have a timeliness issue. Um, so we're always looking to get that those corrections into the system as soon as we possibly can. Um, it, so that's that's something that, that Dragos does, you know, from the engineering standpoint. I think the other thing that we do that's really pretty amazing, um, besides for attracting really some of the best um, talent that is in the sector, in this area, in this niche of cybersecurity, um, we do have an intelligence team that is tirelessly looking for solutions to some of these problems. Um, we're trying to identify problem areas before they become problem areas. Um, as anybody in intelligence will tell you, it's very difficult to predict the future. Um, it may it may be it may be easier, in fact, to uh, predict the weather than it is to predict, um, you know, the, the future in, in in cybersecurity in any area. Um, so much less ICSOT. Um, so that's the one thing that our, our that Dragos has. I think that's really amazing. Um, I, I mean, everybody at the company is amazing um, in what they do, and certainly it's all very very important for um, you know the company as a whole and safeguarding civilization as a whole. Uh, but really the intelligence products we offer, uh, I think are, are becoming their own sort of um, niche product. Uh, there are other companies that, that do this certainly, um, but we have a team of, of people who are ready to answer questions, ready and willing actually to answer questions and to, and to jump in and, and roll up their sleeves and and go, go to the the source, go to the factories, go to the industry, go to the manufacturing plant, go to the nuclear power plant. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's 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 groups of people ready and waiting to do that um, if there's a breach or a suspected breach. So I think that's something that really adds value to um, what Dragos does as a whole. I suppose one of the things I wanted to cover out, every site or facility will need to assess its own risk. And there's a couple of ways you can go about that is either sort of threat or consequence as well. And that's what's slightly different with OT environments uh you're dealing with with the both but uh the the actual consequence is often much greater than say a data breach or a data loss whereas ot environments can have impacts on on lives uh and, and human safety um and we've actually seen this just recently we're going to touch on ransomware as a potential risk uh and we have seen you know 2021 here we are in, in as we start off on 2022 uh we've already had uh you know major attack uh, between Ukraine and Russia, cyber attack, possibly pre-war, but again, uh, the first move is a is a cyber attack. And just this week, uh, the ransomware Revil Group has been uh, arrested, reportedly, uh, in in Russia as well. So Russia's always centralised, uh, central in terms of this space. But I think that's where we're coming back to assessing the risk in I, I, IT environments and the ICS environment. Uh, where would you tend to go towards threat or, or consequence? And I take it that changes depending on the type of uh, infrastructure that we're dealing with? Um, yeah, it's a very interesting question, uh, threat or consequence. Really, you, you, you've said it already, the consequence um, kind of justifies the need to investigate first the threat. Uh, there, is, there, there is possibility for destruction. Um, and physical damage and, and even harm to human life, certainly much different than taking a server offline. You also mentioned the Russia-Ukraine activity uh, that, that has been happening with the websites down, denial of service, whatever. Uh, this is def definitely a typical uh, Russian um, tactic. Certainly in, in 2008, before they invaded Georgia, they did exactly the same thing. Um, typically, th that, that country will use that as a force mul multiplier. If we look at a different country um, like China, for instance, PRC, 
um, they they may they're they're much more clever about how they do their research. Uh, they they'll send academics over here to take jobs in research universities, um, and they 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 seem to be perfectly fine, perfectly normal. Um, there there is a really good book about this actually that, that that has been written recently, and I'm not trying to sell the book or anything, but it's called Spy Schools, and it just it talks about the whole um, espionage sort of. Um, insider threat, what, what I would refer to as an insider threat uh, at, at American universities. Um, sometimes, you know, the the folks in China, they're they're just like in any other country in the world. They have a lot of really bright, um, very highly skilled engineers, and um, you know, maybe they get sent over here to do legitimate, I guess, uh, uh, anodyne research, or maybe they get sent over here to do research that has another meaning or another another effort in mind. So. Um, it's just a very interesting uh, sort of spectrum of threat, and it's it's difficult to know um, the depth and uh, sort of, I guess, qualitative measure of that threat. Sometimes the consequence is easy to understand, right? We know um, that if you know there's a if some nation state is you know scanning everybody's. Uh, OT environment, then yeah, we have a we might have a problem. They might be doing research and development. Um, research and development is is a critical component in uh, nation state activities regarding, um, you know, sort of conducting cyber activity because not everybody understands how the controller works or what how the PLC is coded. Um, so there's there there are groups of you know people who are working on this stuff twenty four seven. So it's a it's a really interesting comment about threat versus consequence. I think um, with I with ICS in operational technology environments, we're always really worried about the physics, the physics of it. The, you know, the IT taking a server offline, taking a website down, uh, corrupting a database. These are bad things, obviously, um, but but actually causing a process to fail or causing a safety system to fail. This is a whole different sort of thing. It's, it takes that cyber threat to a very, very different level. Well, that's the the contrast between IT and OT is the safety, reliability and productivity versus confidentiality, integrity and accessibility. How and then that they, the, neither the two really meet in the middle, uh, really. How do you how do you deal with that? And the other sort of um, area I wanted to cover is we just talked, you know, talked about sort of nation state uh, foreign intelligence. We've just had a, a Chinese spy uh, identified by MI5 in the UK uh, and the convergence with I o OT coming online and being uh, sort of connected or accessible via the internet. It's almost a perfect storm just in terms of the geopolitics of the world, uh, the sort of the critical nature uh, and the connectivity of OT environments. Is that hence why the conversation's increasing? And one area we were going to cover is the human and OSINT uh, area. I've, from an intelligence viewpoint, this is a very interesting time to be in uh, the intelligence community, is it not? Yeah, I would I would definitely argue that um, it gets scarier every day in some way. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so you know the traditional spy tradecraft involved um, somebody wearing you know a cloak. And a hat showing up at somebody's doorstep and saying, "Hey, if you get me this information, um, I'll give you a thousand dollars." Right? That's that's the traditional human approach. But now it's it's easier, right? We don't need to send that person out. There doesn't need to be the recruitment of the asset for you know 
the spy handler. We, it doesn't have to happen. It's all online. There's all this connectivity today. There's all this availability of data. It, it just changed, it changes the whole paradigm for um, human. Now, that's one side of it. The other side of it is, um, you know, the insider threat. I had mentioned this, I've mentioned this before, uh, that when we look at human, looking at, uh, uh, you know, sort of companies, and by the way, all that information, a lot of that information is available online. And sometimes it's available online by by personal design, right? People will post LinkedIn profiles, they'll post uh, Facebook profiles, Twitter Twitter handles, and they'll put lots of detail in there that maybe shouldn't be in there. And so there's there's there is a perfect storm. We have all of, all of this capability to find all this information about people. I mean, with with LinkedIn or we'll say the Contactia, which is the Russian version of Facebook, um, that saves people looking for you know who, oh who works who works at this organization, it saves all that time. It could have taken three to six months before, um, you know, getting visas and getting a person over there and the person had to, you know, appear suddenly at this location or maybe take a job there, sweeping the floor, who knows? Uh, but but basically now it's it's much easier with, with open source, open source intelligence or OSINT to sort of find a lot of this information on people. And I think I, I think people are, are torn. Some, sometimes people in the intelligence profession are very torn. They're, they're torn between do I, do I have a lot in my personal profile or do I put nothing there? Um, because I, I can tell you personally, when I would find, if I found somebody uh, that had no social media, that was a red flag to me. That's a red flag is finding a person saying, yeah, I studied at the Cryptological Institute or whatever. Right. So so you have these two sides of the spectrum. Do I do I overshare? Or do I not share you know, enough or do I share just an just the right amount to keep my network going and to actually use LinkedIn, for instance, for what it's for, um, which is to develop those networks. And it's really to develop networks of knowledge more than I think anything else, but knowledge works in every direction, right? I mean, it can be for the good, it can be for the bad. So uh, you just you just don't know um, sometimes. Do you, find, do you find it's almost going full circle to where it was maybe 30 years ago uh, where corporate security had quite a, a strong role uh, and then it sort of died off and it was it became a cost center but now it's returning because what we just talked about there open source intel and human intelligence uh it requires some more security awareness training now because of that insider threat and the insider threat might be a motivated uh but it can also be a complacent uh, actor as well uh in that it and ot environment and you're talking about, you know, you might be talking about a sort of a process engineer who doesn't understand cybersecurity and who is complacent uh, in that context is, is an insider threat. So do you find it, it raises uh, challenges for security awareness and maintaining that security awareness? I think it definitely does um, because even using tools, you know, IT-based tools like um, sort of developing behavior profiles on a person based on what they do during the day you know, using their IT, that's not good enough, really. Um, it, and it would be weird if corporate security was following you around every day, you know, in your daily, <laughs> while you get a cup of coffee or when you go to the water cooler, whether you whether you go get a, a, you know, a drink or something or a lunch or a meal. Um, that's really complicated now, right? It's complicated by, by the very thing that we're doing right now. I'm speaking to you from my home. So, so yeah, it's extremely complicated now. As far from from the standpoint of, because um, a lot of IT security functions look at 
they look at their assets, which are their computers that they give to people, laptops, and they say, okay, we gotta make sure these are secure. Let's focus on securing the machines. Let's focus on you know register machines in some system like JAMF, for instance. Um, make sure everybody's got the same software. Make sure they're not downloading things they shouldn't be. That's one small dimension of it. Um, but yeah, it, absolutely. It's, what about the people? What are they doing in their off time? And obviously, <laughs> this is this is a challenge that no organization really wants to consider too greatly because. Um, it's it's costly, right, to follow people and to conduct passive surveillance, and to this is this is time time intensive and, and, and very much money intensive. So, looking at insiders from a work from home or a remote company is an incredibly complex decision calculus. Uh, I don't, I I have to in my next insider threat paper, I'm going to be considering that because it's it's really um it's like a complex system, and I I do tend to look at from a systems engineering standpoint, I look at complex systems of systems and I say, how does this system interact with this system? And this is this is sort of the core of how does that IT enterprise IT system interact with that, yeah. you know, OT, enterprise OT. So yeah, this is a this is a, a very linked problem at all levels, actually. And I think the other one is you you, you come back from a, a sort of a, an Intel background. Uh, and when you have that background, you kind of understand or appreciate uh, that threat, whereas getting a layperson to appreciate the risk is the challenge as well. Uh, that that normal human behaviour that you're up against, I think, is the real challenge. Uh, do you think the the cybersecurity message is getting through in the OT environment? Do you think the appreciation of cybersecurity, and we, I use that term kind of broadly uh, in that it's better understood in the IT environment, but in the OT, do you think? Uh, it is changing there, do you, or do you think there, not so much resistance, but uh, it, we've got it and we understand our process is better? Because you mentioned at the start, at the outset, there's very few experts in this field who understand both uh, environments intimate, intimately. Uh, I'm just wondering the language that you see on the OT environment and the appreciation of cybersecurity. Do you think you're seeing some changes there? Um, I definitely think there are some changes, and I think that. Um, we had two incidents last year that I think brought everybody's sort of attention to this, certainly in the cybersecurity community, but even lay people who are just reading the newspaper. Um, Colonial Pipeline, the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline had a direct impact on availability of fuel, certainly where I live. Um, I remember the, the evening that happened. It was a Friday evening. I actually got in my car. It was midnight. Got in my car and drove to a 24-hour gas station and filled up because I knew what was coming. And I told my friends, I texted everybody and I'm like, you better go get gas. And they're like, it's 12 o'clock, you know, midnight. Why, why, I don't want to go out and get gas. I'm like, trust me, go get gas. Um, and no joke, the next day by middle of the afternoon, most stations were empty. Um, and this was, this was something that was very mainstream. Everybody said, well, wait, I don't understand. How did the IT, how did the ransomware in the IT system affect, um, you know, their logistics, their, their transportation planning? Well, this is exactly what we're always trying to sort of tell um, in a very kind way. We're always trying to tell um, asset owners and operators, hey, listen, um, you have a complex system there. It's called corporate IT. And you have another complex system there. Mm. It's called corporate OT. And those two things have touch points. Do you know where those touch points are? Are you aware of um, every sort of externality that could occur uh, if one of those touch points is even changed slightly uh, without your permission. So, and this is this is a difficult conversation because 
you do have the cybersecurity side. Um, and, I, and I know this from, from a pedagogical standpoint, because I was a, a professor for many years teaching cybersecurity, and then I had to teach cybersecurity engineering, and it was like, whoa, the cybersecurity people in IT, they don't know the same thing that the cybersecurity engineering people know who do OT. It's, it's a totally different set of knowledge. Um, and I also think that you were saying about human nature, and this is a great point. I think that people would like to believe everything's okay, right? Especially today, the world the world's uh, upside down right now with, with the pandemic. And even though it's waning in some areas, uh, it's still upside down and people just want something. They can say, yeah, you know what, they got it, it's okay. But really, my question is, do, do they have it and do they understand exactly what they have? And, um, you know, of course, Dragos comes in and says, yeah, this is, here's a map of your assets. and. Here's, here's where you're connecting to your, your, your enterprise IT um, and just focus on how these things matter to uh, OT. Because we really, again, um, certainly from our standpoint, we're, we're always only interested in how any of this affects uh, you know, the operational technology side. And, and the Colonial Pipeline was one example, as I mentioned. Oldsmar was another one, um, the Oldsmar water incident where somebody was able to actually get on the HMI and change the, um, the concentration of sodium hydroxide in the water. Fortunately, there was an, a process engineer standing there watching this and said, whoa, 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 this is, this is a problem. We, I got to fix this and fixed it before anything happened. But again, that was because uh, the TeamViewer software was installed so that people could monitor this remotely. This was, this was a, a direct impact from working remotely. Uh, and, and you can't, one thing Dragos never does is we, we don't point fingers at anybody because everybody's learning. This is a learning process for all of us. Um, and we certainly don't, we don't have all the answers. We, we will, if somebody says, hey, can you, can you find this for us? We will look for those answers. But, um, you know, sometimes there's a lot involved in that discovery process. And I know our, our tireless incident response team, um, they, they go through the same thing. And they're there on site typically at these organizations sort of dealing with the very front line of the incident and it can be it can be very difficult uh some some organizations don't want to be told that hey you know you didn't really pay attention to this uh this it installation here that you know is based on software from 2018 maybe and it might not be secure because there might have been no patches applied and, and this sort of thing so it's it's a whole it's a whole bunch of things that really play into this risk assessment and it's uh it's just a very it's, it can be thorny sometimes uh and it's and thorny for us i was going to say yeah. you can't fix it all at once you mentioned the complex systems and they are complex so you need to implement a sort of a program how does a dragos visibility tool work is it, is it an agent or is it a, a process that might just go to a server and find out what's connected to that server how does it actually work at the technical level yeah, it uses proprietary protocols to sort of see, seek out. Um, there's a whole, there is a whole bunch of um, technology behind this. Uh, I I work in the Intel side of the house, so I'm, I'm not the I'm not the uh, implementation engineer. I'm probably not the the, yeah. the number one person to ask for this question, but certainly Dragos could provide more information on that from that side of the house. Um, but from what I know, it it does use a discovery protocol that will find the devices, and the assets, starts to, and starts to map that network for you. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Well, without that visibility, you can't do a risk assessment, really. In fact, if you have no visibility, that's your first risk identification in terms of, uh, okay, what are we actually dealing with? Uh, and you might have a good uh, visibility into your corporate network, but it's getting that um, 
uh, visibility across an OT network. And we're still seeing, uh, I'm still surprised, even brand new PLCs coming out are still seeing uh, CVEs uh, and patches uh, uh, attributed to them uh, with some vulnerabilities. So even the modern PLCs are still found to be vulnerable at some point. So you can, as you mentioned, the 2018 or 2000s uh, related uh, infrastructure, and some of this infrastructure is quite old, and that's the other sort of element of the perfect storm, right, is the, the, the age of some yeah. of this uh, infrastructure. And it's in the difficulty in some instances to allow downtime to actually enable the patching is can be can be extremely complicated and um i mean remember the, the devices are designed for functionality the engineers sit down and they design something that's going to be functional uh security is i think engineers think a lot more about it today than they did in the past yeah. but sometimes you know we know how the, the flow of business sometimes is you get some pressure to get it done um we know there are several major uh worldwide software organizations that are known to release software that has lots of bugs in it and it's not I, nobody sits down and says oh, i'm going to put a lot of bugs in this software it just it, it's just that sometimes there's there's things pre pressuring um and is, that pressure sometimes ex exists with organizations again that are trying to do um, large-scale patching typically with it they will send an announcement out and they'll say, yeah, we're, we're patching the systems between 1 and 3 a.m. Eastern time. So make sure you're off. It's hard to turn somebody's power off between 1 and 3 a.m. Eastern time for any reason, really. Yeah. So that availability in the OT environment is critical for customers. And it, it can be very difficult, I think, to to get to get the patching done in a timely manner. Uh, it's just it, it's a whole different sort of decision calculus. I think the only thing uh, what I find of interest is in moving into the future with new newer systems coming on board, they tend will have to have a digital twin that you might be able to do some vulnerability assessments on and some, some uh, scenario uh, game playing. Uh, I think that's one aspect that hasn't been there in the past where you can sort of understand how that system will, will respond. Uh, or be impacted uh, as well. Now, what's what's the call out? I think with, there's a number of papers here, and I have been looking through one uh, in particular, was the executive guide uh, and assessing ransomware risk in IT and OT environments. Uh, maybe a call to action for some further reading. We've got a number of white papers, but also the outlook for 2022 uh, time, and maybe in contrast to 2021. 2021 was certainly a highlight for ransomware. We did peak at, at some point during the year, uh, maybe early mid-year. How do you uh, view 2022? We've already mentioned Russia a couple of times and, and Ukraine, uh, but uh, there's certainly more. Do you expect ransomware to, to be maintained or certainly uh, continue as a, as a key risk this year or threat? I think based on the past two years of looking, even three years of ransomware, um, I expect it one way or the other, we'll still have, it's still going to be a problem. Um, what I'm more concerned about, though, actually, in 2022 is the log4j type vulnerabilities that, um, like the print nightmare vulnerability from late last spring, these are, these are vulnerabilities that may not appear to be directly OT related, but as you start to peel the layers off the IT and you, you look at how IT inter interacts with OT, and you start to look at source code that's used in OT environments, um, you realize that something like log4j could be a, a really big problem. So I think um, 
I think there's probably going to be something along those lines because remember we had, uh, of course, uh, in at the very end of 2020 we had uh, solar winds, and that was a supply chain dilemma certainly from a software standpoint, or at least it was delivered through supply chain. Um, things like log4j, things like that supply chain delivery mechanism and ransomware, I think are going to continue to be a problem. Um, leaving nation states out, we we never really know. Um, predicting what a nation state's going to do next is very difficult. Um, I do I do think that if Russia keeps their promise and sends troops to Venezuela and a couple other countries, that's going to increase the risk calculus certainly uh, in, in this country. And it's there's always there's always the issue of um, active operations inside your home country. We assume that foreign intelligence services have people in every city, in every state in the United States, in every area in Australia. I mean, it's, 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 they're everywhere. So yeah. we assume that this is the case. So the, the real question becomes, what are those, you know, FIS is going to be focusing on? Luckily, that's less my job today to track, um, <laughs> and I can track more of the, the, the threats to ICS and operational technology. But I think the two, you know, there's a lot of places where those two things can connect. Um, there's always the insider threat issue that concerns me. I I do lose sleep over that, um, especially in the United States, knowing what I know about you know sort of foreign intelligence activities in this country on a daily basis. Um, I used to always tell my students, I'd say, "Where is the espionage capital of the world?" And you know, most students would say Paris or or Moscow or something like that, or Beijing. But really, the answer is Washington D.C. Um, I, I live in Northern Virginia, so that that's near and dear to me. Uh, that's a, that's a definite concern. But the other thing to keep in mind too, taking the big city out of this, um, Dragos really likes to support and help small business, small owner operators. I think those those are also of of uh, you know to me, from my personal perspective, those are of interest. That those are things that need to be protected as well. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's a, you know gigantic grid company or whether it's a small mom and pop. Uh, water purification for a, maybe part of a state. It, all of these matter, and that's the thing that I think, um, from my perspective, Dragos is really cool. They 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 want to support everybody. It's not just the large companies. It's really everybody in between. So, um, I, I, I yeah. would back that up. There's, it's the second and third tier. I, I think again, you need to look at across the supply chain, uh, and that's where your sort of contractors and suppliers also come into that risk assessment as well. It's not just your on-facility uh, environment either. So it's one of a good point to make uh, in terms of uh, today's topic, in terms of a, a risk assessment in an ICS environment. It's that supply chain, and even if a piece of infrastructure changes or or, or breaks, uh, what's that supply chain to actually fix it as well? Because uh, things tend to happen in threes uh, during a crisis. So um, what we'll do is we'll put some links out here. We've got a recent ransomware attacks against governments and critical infrastructure. Uh, there's a few uh, blog posts, a couple of white papers, and also a webinar recording uh, with you, Tom, uh, as well. And that's protect your IC environments from ransomware with risk assessment. So there's going to be a number of links in the show notes. Uh, but thank you very much for your time, Tom. A pleasure uh, talking to you today. Dr. Tom Winston, the Director of Intelligence with Dragos. Thanks very much for joining us on MySec TV. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. Bye-bye.